Comic Scene, the podcast. Episode 2, Classic and Contemporary Review. I'd like to welcome Olivia Hicks and Haley Austin to the second episode of uh, Comic Scene, the podcast. So today we're going to look at a classic and a contemporary comic book of my guest's choice. So first of all, uh, Olivia, if you want to talk a little bit about your background and uh, and then we'll move on to, to your choices. Yeah, no worries. Uh, my name's Olivia. Um, I'm a PhD student at the University of Dundee. Uh, my focus is on British and American girls' superhero comics. Um, aside from that, I also make comics. Um, so I've got an ongoing uh, webcomic at the moment called Sarara about sort of it's sort of a parody of sort of Archie comics from the 50s and also uh, me and Haley are actually working on a comic at the moment uh, called The Love Ranch which is sort of a combination of our love of uh, western and soap operas and drama and romance. Yeah it's pretty much a it's like a rom-com telenovela set in Cheyenne, yeah. <laughs> Wyoming, in like the sixties. Right, okay. So it's big hair and big action and big, big horses and big horses. Big butts. Which Sorry. yeah, Olivia's had a lot of fun trying to draw. Mm, and it's <laughs> she's gotten really good though. <laughs> and it's gonna launch a Glasgow Comic Con. Yeah, because just got confirmation for a table. Pew pew pew. Yay. So that's the that's the big news. But Great. that's what I'm working on in the meantime. Okay. Uh, so comics. Uh, my classic comic, unsurprisingly. I went for a Betty and Veronica. Um, the somebody said that like there isn't really such thing as a perfect Archie comic because there's so many different moving parts and combinations that come together to make Archie comics so good, and no one story kind of has all of the different parts that you could potentially want, but they have like a combination of different parts, which I think is f- a fair call. There is no one perfect classic Archie comic story, but uh, one of the closest. I think, is a story from Archie 143, 1964, uh, called The Kiss of Strikes slash Strike One Kiss. It was in two parts. And uh, it's written by Frank Doyle, which is always a good start for a classic Archie because he kind of wrote most of the great 60s and 50s Archie comic stories. Um, the Arts by Harry Lucy, which is where I would be like, it's an 8 out of 10 rather than a 10 out of 10. <laughs> Harry Lucy's great. He's very energetic art. But like for me, Dan DiCarlo is my man. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a good one. And basically... Uh, it's about this a mysterious kisser kissing all the girls at school under the cover of darkness and the boys say they've got to try and catch the kisser and then it turns out at the end it's Betty and she's got some convoluted plan about how this is so she can kiss Archie and no one's going to suspect it and it's just a very strange like bizarro story but it's kind of perfect <laughs> um, apart from the fact it's I mean like no disrespect to Harry Lucy because he's amazing but like Dan DiCarlo is like He's my man when it comes to the Betty and Veronica drawings. Yeah. He's my fave. So, so that's, that's that's in a kind of digest uh, format. Yeah, I don't have the original cover for this. Um, like when you buy, when I buy old Archie comics, I don't really buy tend to buy very strategically. I just base it on what how the covers look and if I like the cover because the contents are going to be pretty much good whatever you pick up. Like it'll be the same standard. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I've got like an old like an example of the old ones with a my man Dan DiCarlo, Dan DiCarlo cover um, with the first appearance of Betty as Super Teen, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one's in like a reprint format. It's um, just the old sort of, they're just like, you get like 400 pages of comics. It's just all jammed together. 
and it's like really cheap looking paper the color looks terrible but that's kind of part of the charm of this collection is yeah. it's just bang for your buck so i kind of read the old archies in a mix of this one the smaller digest formats and the old ones if i pick them up and this old one when is this from do you know when that's it's... 68 i right. think um oh maybe earlier than that let's open it <laughs> this is, uh, I really like this one because it's um, it's uh, not a very good copy. It's like a fine or good copy, and it's got like kids scribbles on it. And I always like it when you see the use of the comic that somebody actually used it and loved it. Um, sorry, sixty five. Yeah, this is a lot earlier than I always think it is because um, it's like a little bit the sort of Archie camp superhero craze actually started a little bit before the um. The Batman 66 story started. Mm. Archie kind of did just a little bit a couple of months beforehand. So people always say that it's sort of reacting to the Batman 66 TV series. But actually, it's kind of doing its own thing just because of the, I guess, the pop cultural moment. It's filtering into both things. Uh, so, yeah, this is um, the first appearance of Betty's superhero, alter ego, super teen, who's a bit of a menace, I would say. And actually, what's great about, about this uh, original comic is that it has all the adverts from the time. Yeah. And, to put it into context, but the actual artwork um, is quite—it's got quite a contemporary feel about it. I, I well, would say, you know, Dan DiCarlo, like I mean, that's all Dan DiCarlo on the inside. I think pretty much he is like the house style for Archie. Like everyone's yeah. still trying to catch up with him. I think Dan Parrott's starting to influence the house style. Like, but it's taken Dan Parrott like twenty years to sort of get to the to get to that. Whereas like Dan DiCarlo, everybody started to draw like Dan DiCarlo. Rather than Harry Lucy, who's great, but like he was his own his own man. Whereas Dan DiCarlo had this sweeping influence. When you think about Archie, classic Archie, you're thinking about the Dan DiCarlo style specifically because it's just come to to be the iconic version of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way he, I mean, like the way he draws figures and the movement, it's it's really beautiful. His he's just stunning work. I think a lot of the time it's inked by Rudy Lip 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 Nick or something as well. So also the Inca gets creds for doing a really good job. Yeah, it is. It's definitely very dynamic. Cause, I mean, it's quite a, a grid-like structure. But, oh, yeah. But, but, it, but inside the, the panels, there's a lot of movement without a lot of sort of speed lines. And, you know, the movement is uh, implicit in, in the characters. It's all in the form. Yeah. Um, and the outfits are always really good. Um, I think, yeah, I think what you say about the grid-like structure is so interesting because when it gets to that um, big... It's not even a big, it's like a half-page panel of Betty fighting villains. And the shape of the panel is like... He sort of started doing a six-page grid and then he's used the bottom three like a Tetris block to try and like (laughs) cram in the extra thing because it doesn't quite work in the grid-like structure, but he still wants to keep that grid structure. It's a really interesting way to try and show action while still being as rigid as possible. (laughs) That's a very good point, yeah. That page in particular, um, we'll take a snap of this and and we'll post it up on on the website so you can see that. But you're right, it's a Tetris layer, which I've never quite seen. Uh, It's not not a very well-used layer (laughs) format, but I could see... I can see why, um, you know, obviously it's crying out almost for those characters to pop out of that or, yeah. or at least, you know, uh, do something to break the grid. But you've got to admire an artist who, who kind of you know, works within the restrictions like that. Definitely. Yeah, even if they'd use the white dashed lines for Betty's speed and use that to um, break out the panel. Yeah. So it was yeah. Yeah, into exactly. the, beaten yeah. into the gutter, that would have... Just broken it up a Broken bit it up yeah. a little bit, but yeah. it's kind of perfect as it is. Yeah, I was going to say, it gives it the charm. Like a, mm. a 60s yeah. charm, I think. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, 
What I also like about this original print, and I don't know if they've replicated it in the reprint book that you brought along, is the slight misregistering yeah. of the colours as well, which I always oh, loved in, you know, yeah. 60s and 70s and some 80s uh, comics as well. Especially yeah, like in the speech bubbles, or whatever that is. Yeah. Where it's got, like, not all the way there. Yeah, it's a little bit... When they just do the straight-up scans, you kind of get that charm as well. Sometimes they recolour it, which, I don't know, I prefer scans to recolour in. Mm. Or like, you know, um, the Weird Love one where he has recolored it and he's touched up a little bit so that the colour bleed isn't as unreadable. Sometimes in the old 40s and 50s comics, it's basically unreadable. The comics, the colours are so offset. Yeah. Um, but in Weird Love, he does this really charming retro nostalgia retouching up of it where he kind of makes it easier to read but keeps the feel of the mm. colour bleeding. Mm-hmm. And like that's, I feel like, it's, probably, it's obviously quite time-consuming, but I feel like, you know, when people are doing their reprints, they should really take note because that the weird love reprints are so good. Yeah. They're so dynamic. They're so beautiful to look at. Even the, um, the, the, the wear on the pages and the, you know, the way the, the paper's discolored, I think, adds to some, somewhat to the charm of it as well. I mean, I'm not quite sure if they've been able to, quite, to capture that in the, in the reprint no. as, as a whole, but there's something about the original format of, of this uh, which yeah. is really appealing well the actual just format of an archie comic like that big block uh, i'm obsessed with the just the general cover scheme of an archie comic just you have the big color block with the name on it the very classic fonts that they haven't really changed ever and then you just have like that one picture underneath it's just it's such a beautiful layout and when you kind of look at all of those sort of teen mags together like just a bunch of them in a secondhand shop the ones that always stand out are the Archie comics and the Patsy Walker ones because they just have this amazing sort of just the design of the comic is so bold and it still stands out and it's still vibrant today. Yeah, It's just great design. I don't know. Oh, it's funny, actually, you mentioned that. I was at a talk yesterday from um, Leon Strachan, who's the head designer on, on mm-hmm. the Beano, and he was talking about how the, the masthead is always now in the same position, and that's part of the redesign. That doesn't move. And again, I'm looking at this, uh, the Betty and Veronica masthead is, is along the top part of the page and again so if it's sitting behind something it's still kind of visible you know mm-hmm. so the visibility of that I think is quite interesting when you go down in scale it's maybe not quite as visible in the graphic novel digest mm-hmm. format however it's a slightly different audience and it's going to be sold in a, in a different way yeah um, great so um, what did you bring along for your contemporary choice well Carrying along with the Archie comics theme, I brought one of the greatest comics ever made, which is Band vs. Band, which is a webcomic, which is still ongoing. Um, but Kathleen Jacks, who creates it, is a very busy woman, so it updates less re- frequently now than it used to. But um, this is the second volume collecting. It's been going for about eight or nine years, so it's collecting about four years' worth of material. Um, it's basically... Uh, about two rival bands. Uh, one of them is called the Sourballs, who are sort of a punk gar- garage band, and one of them's called. Um, can I ever remember the name of the bands? Uh, uh, they're called something like. Uh, it's like sweet candy or something like that. It's like complete opposite. The Candy Hearts. That's yeah. it. Sorry. Uh, sorry. It's the Sourballs versus the Candy Hearts. Um, two rival bands. Uh, candy Hearts sort of. Uh, it's kind of like they're kind of pop they're kind of pop rock I guess um 
they hate each other. They're always fighting fight against each other. So it's sort of uh, bringing in the structure of the Gem of the Holograms 1980s TV show. Where you have the good band, which is Gem, and the evil band of the Misfits. Um, they're sort of playing against each other, but it's sort of complicated by the fact that two lead singers are falling in love with each other. So this is sort of um, the second part is where they sort of finally become a couple, which again, if you were reading this at the time, is just four years into it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Kathleen Jacks is very influenced by Archie Comics, very influenced by Jason and Pussycats, very influenced by Jump Holograms. So it uses lots of the very classic Archie Comics techniques, like you'll have a big band scene, and um, you'll have like a giant person in the foreground, which is what one of Dan DiCarlo's trademarks is. You'll have a crowd scene, and then you'll have like just a giant woman in the foreground, and Kathleen Jacks will do that. Um, so she has lots of sort of visual references and cues. Um, also to Sunday comics, she'll have uh, sort of dress-up pages, dolls pages, activity pages, uh, little wee side comics. Um, the other thing that stands out about this is that she doesn't use uh, set fonts. She designs the fonts herself. Mm. So the typography in it is amazing. Yeah. It's like a lesson, master class in how to do lettering. <laughs> Her letters are like just so inventive. And the other thing that's amazing about it is, of course, the color scheme. Mm-hmm. She has uh, red and pinks for the candy hearts and sort of a blue, greeny, turquoisey color for the uh, sour balls. And the kind of way she just plays that very simple color scheme off each other. So it's just incredibly dynamic looking. It's just a great, amazing comic. It's it's one of the sort of joys of a webcomic is that somebody can just sit and make something this perfect just for free. <laughs> like they just do it. She just does it because she really wants to tell this story. And it's and she's a designer, so it looks absolutely incredible. Like Yeah, the design of this, this book, uh, and again, we'll, we'll have some references to this uh, on, on the website. Um, and basically, yeah, every page is, is a piece of design in its own in its own right and, mm-hmm. and like you say that the, the diversity in the in the typefaces and the fonts and the lettering uh is is fantastic but i really really like the color the limited color palette as well it's um also very love and rockets would be the other yeah, thing, it is. I would say. yeah, yeah. Um, it is. her drawings like she started it off because she wanted to get better at drawing and she kind of said and so like this is the second volume it improves like the drawing like when you see web comics it's always you, it's such a joy to see the artist has improved so much over the course of it and this is definitely the case but she really has got something of like uh, Jaime Hernandez's hmm. sort of the way he draws which again influenced yeah. by Archie yeah. all comes back to Archie all comes back to <laughs> Dan Carlo or Harry Lucy and that sort of influence yeah it definitely could see that actually if, if you strip the color yeah, out blacks. of this you know yeah. it would actually be very love and rockets. rockets um no it's a it looks like a fantastic uh piece of work and definitely complements your original choice is this ongoing did you say yeah, yeah. still ongoing so, so these collections uh really good uh and again obviously it's it's uh digital originally but now in print and it mm-hmm. holds up really well in print i yeah. think as well mm-hmm. so it's obviously been very cleverly designed she's a fantastic like i don't i don't know like the design work that she does in her day-to-day life i know she works as a graphic designer Hmm. she's an incredible designer i hope that whatever they're paying her is top dollar i'm not sure it is because she's always talking about like her terrible house that she has to live in but like (laughs) the work she puts in on this comic is such a labor of love and it's absolutely like this is just a crash course on amazing design work yeah as as a book 
yeah, I'd agree. I think just everything about it, the the, the end papers and, yeah. you know, just the, the, the thought that's gone into the design is definitely it is a master class in how to, to, um, to design uh, an artifact in this form. So, yeah, yeah really, really like that. I also like the lack of, like, the black panels. She does instead kind of white and just, like, suggests a gutter. Mm. She doesn't have, like, yeah. a strict panel. Yeah, there's so no all, outlines on any of those. Yeah, yeah. they all really yeah. flow into each other it's really easy to look at it's mm. not the the grid that you get used to kind of with um archie this it all it just makes you want to look at the whole thing over and over again yeah. i think that's really cool i think yeah it's yeah i think you're absolutely right because it's it is when you kind of break down the page it is quite grid like but yeah. because of just the little things she's done it and the variations in the grid it's not always a, a three by a two by three or whatever um it's just it's just looks so much more alive and, yeah. But it still gives you that feel of looking at a newspaper page and mm. looking mm-hmm. at where the different comics would be on a Sunday strip, like on a Sunday strip pullout. It still gives you that feel, but it's just so much more inventive. Yeah. It's really cute. I really like it. Great. You've brought it a couple times to... I always bring this comic. <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be for that or Road Queen. Like, it was only one <laughs> or two comics that I bring. And who publishes it? Is it freely available? Self-published. Yeah. Um, no, uh, it might still be freely available. This was a Kickstarter. Um, so she kickstarted the second volume and she still had some copies left on her website. Which So you need to go to her store to see if you can get the volume. She doesn't have volume one in stock. Um, but you can read it all on BVB. It's like comics. I think it's comics is the web handle. Band, it's like BVB comics with a K. Okay, with an we'll, X, sorry. We'll add the link again. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and you can read it. <laughs> you can find it online and you can read it all, which is what I did at first. Fantastic. Great. And uh, just before we move on, we want to talk a little bit about the, the, the TV version of, of Archie uh, and uh, Riverdale. Riverdale, briefly. Do we have another hour? <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Um, what is there to say about Riverdale? Um, I was thinking about Riverdale on the way down because I was trying to think about who would be the most iconic Archie artist who had, like, who had shaped the brand so much. Mm. And I decided on the guy who took over when... Bob Montana was it went off to World War II. I'm not sure my Archie comic history, but the guy who sort of took over when the original artist went off to World War II because he started bringing that style. I'd say Dan DiCarlo. I'd say Dan Parent. And then I would say Fiona Staples and Veronica Fish because they were doing the work on Mark Way's version of Archie that then got picked up and that was the version that influenced Riverdale. Mm-hmm. So when you the original Riverdale promo art was a Veronica Fish piece of art. So those two women have really influenced they influence sort of the aesthetic that got important to Riverdale, and now Riverdale's starting to bleed out and affect the rest of the Archie comics. Like when you look at Archie Seven Hundred, which just came out, that was very much trying to call back to Riverdale and what Riverdale's done with the aesthetic. So I think this, and it's a less obvious influence than Dan DiCarlo or Dan Parents had, but the influence of Veronica Fish and Fiona Staples on Archie through Riverdale is quite profound as well. Um, Riverdale is the most amazing TV series, I would say, ever. Um, <laughs> season one is one of the best seasons of television ever. And season three has been... It's been less good recently, but it's been a delight. It's been wild. Um, it's just... I can't say anything else about it because I don't want to spoil it if people haven't watched it. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. Like, at one point this season, people were getting seizures... And we've got to this state of madness that I was 100% sure 
sure that there were drugs in the maple syrup and that was what was giving them seizures. I was only a little bit off wrong. Like, I wasn't that far off with my judgment of what was happening. They have a speakeasy that Archie got killed by a bear and then came back to life. And this happened, like, sorry for spoilers, but Archie got killed by a bear and I didn't even... And the bear bit... It's so wild that I didn't even think about the bear bit. I was just like, oh, no, Archie died. Then people were like, how? I was like, oh, he got hit by a bear. And they were like, a bear? And that's what I was like, oh, wait. That bit was also wild. Um, it's... <laughs> and, and, and they quote, like, that it's a hero's journey. They're like, jo- oh, yeah. just so you know, this is Joseph Campbell. This is yeah, what they... we're doing mm. with Archie. Like, it actually, like, shoehorned it. And also, we don't talk about season two. We don't talk about season two. Season two is very poor, I would say. <laughs> um, and, like... Oh, and it's had some very iconic bits, but one of the most iconic things they've done, and I'll stop talking about Riverdale, is um, season one, they had a cheerleading sequence to uh, a revamped version of Sugar Sugar, the original Archie's, Archie's number one song. They brought it in, they added a rap, they like changed the meaning of it, and then had a cheerleading sequence under it, and it's one of the greatest ideas ever filmed to television. Like... <laughs> it's and the costuming is by I can't remember the woman's name, but I follow her on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is Seven Sisters of Norway. She's the costume designer for Riverdale. She is amazing. She's incredible, and the music is generally really good as well. Like it's beautiful to look at. It's the best. As it's long the as best. She isn't singing. Oh, no, it's not good. <laughs> it's the best and simultaneously the worst, but that's what makes it the best. Oh, I'm just glad that Archie's still alive because I'm not, not quite sure where it could go without well, him. But he's not really the lead character, no, is he? No, he's really that's not. The they kind of, like, they tried at first and then people were like, actually, we don't like him the most. We like everybody else. And they were like, okay, he'll be more of a subplot. So I feel like they could have killed him off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've done it in the comics before. Death of Archie, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they have. So nothing's off the table. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They've also got the new. What's that new like horror line with like the werewolves and everything? Uh, the I think it's just called Archie Horror. But they've just announced they're going to do a Katie Keene spinoff that's mm. going to be musical. And the rumor is that Josie's going to be in it, and also Alexandra Cabot, who is Josie's frenemy slash villain. She's the Veronica to Josie's Betty, and she's such a good like teen comics character and I'm so excited Alexander Cabot's going to be in it because like she's one of my favorites I like love or every single mean girl in a teen comic is my favorite <laughs> and Alexander Cabot is such a good one she's got like that white stripe in her hair and she's just was also a witch at one point but isn't anymore and I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with her in the Katie Keene universe and before we move on what do you think of the Sabrina spin-off I didn't finish watching it you need to ask Haley about that I watched it I, I it wasn't camp enough for me in like that's what I watched Riverdale for and yeah I think Haley should take that one I enjoyed okay. the comic I didn't get through the series I like the series because I had to stop watching Riverdale because it was too camp <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just had to stop I was like I can't take this anymore um, it's just so much angst and like everyone's banging their teacher and I was like I'm I'm over it um, but I like Sabrina because it was a bit more it was more serious and bringing in all the things and like Salem was actually a cat like he didn't <laughs> well he wasn't a, an animatronic yeah. puppet like the original series <laughs> I love that too and I love when he talked and he was my favorite part of the original series but I liked how they kind of changed it to be that a lot of people didn't like that but I did and how it's a bit darker and a bit more about like the black magic and kind of how Sabrina has to like traverse kind of these like two areas where it's like either be the good girl at school or be this like super evil witch who's supposed to bring about like the apocalypse all by herself and um 
yeah it, i like the kind of dichotomies of that and it's much more horror like mm. um like the comic run where it's a, a, a lot more about like these creepy monsters coming and like they do they'll do some kind of like monster of the week a little bit if they get bored um and it'll be like it'll be like really scary and this monster like it's really it's like gothic horror mm. which i think rings true with the older comics as well yeah um which i liked but i can see why if you're expecting cutesy kind of cutesy no that was a read well, um. <laughs> <laughs> if you're expecting more camp like fun it's not cheerleaders it's, yeah it's scary and it's well, got, it's like, interesting, moral though, dilemmas. That's interesting, the contrast between the two shows, because you'd think they'd try and pitch them towards the same yeah, kind of audience. Yeah, I, I think they're pitched towards completely different audiences. Yeah. That, uh, Riverdale is definitely more like YA, like CW. Like, yeah. it, it fits the CW kind of branding, whereas Sabrina fit much more, I guess, the Netflix branding, which was like, this is horror, but still friendly, not too horrific. So, yeah. Quite a few people who didn't watch Riverdale at all watched Sabrina. So yeah. I felt like it was a slightly different thing. And also because, I mean, people always complain about this, but Riverdale is technically supposed to be for teenagers, even though yeah. the morals are completely nah. off the charts. <laughs> like, I forced my dad to watch Riverdale and I get his old men opinions on it. He's always like, I don't know morality. These are supposed to be 15-year-olds. <laughs> They're all played by 40-year-olds, probably. <laughs> yeah, they pretty <laughs> partly are. Yeah, that's the other thing. is like, you've never seen more, like, muscles on a 15-year-old. You're like, really? That's not even physically possible. Yeah. He's in the underground fight club. Yeah. This, week, this season as well like it's just when you say the plot lines that happen you just have to stop and yeah, be like when you what? say it out loud yeah you're just like <laughs> okay well let's uh, well let's move on Haley, to, yeah, to your choices and maybe a bit about your background before we, we jump into this so okay yeah my name is Haley Austin I'm also a PhD student at Dundee uh, my research focus is more on anthropomorphism or like the human animal hybrid that we see in comics starting well not starting with but like most popularly like mickey mouse donald duck that kind of stuff but then how it's branched and grown and and what it means when people use anthropomorphism in comics because mm-hmm. i've had to do an intro and look back at how long humans have been using animals to talk about human affairs and it's a really, really long time. Like, like going all the way back to like hieroglyphics and like cave paintings and whatever. It's just like, oh my god, <laughs> the scope of this is huge. Um, but yeah, so I'm doing that um, right now for my PhD. I'm working on a, a sci-fi chapter, so talking about kind of the sci-fi influence and like Meltdown Man hmm. and stuff like that that Phil so generously let me borrow <laughs> to read, which is really good. Um, and lots of H.G. Wells and Wild's End, which I really, really like. Uh, it's a kind of a retelling of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, but with animals. Hmm. Um, I've got... What else am I working on? I've got a commando coming out oh, wow. in two months. Great. Can you, t- can you talk about that? or is it? I don't know. Let me, I'll have to ask George. I think so. I got paid it's at the artist's. I don't know. Well, that means it's coming out. Yeah, so. it's coming out. The artist is still working on it. Cue the Diana Ross. It's coming out. It's coming out. But you, you don't know who's drawing it, I take it. No, it's it. someone in Argentina. Yeah. It'll be one of their, um, you know, um, stock. Yeah, uh, she was like, probably Jorge. <laughs> was good. Like, so, yeah, she doesn't know. But, yeah, so it'll be there for, and then in two months it'll come out. Great. 
Yeah. Look forward to that. I'm a yeah. subscriber of Commando, and I'm sure a lot of our <laughs> listeners are as well. So great. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's about a train explosion. Steel Inferno. That's what oh. the title is. Okay. I, well, right now it is. <laughs> I, <laughs> hope, I, could I hope they yeah. keep that. <laughs> uh, in the film adaptation, you need Arnold Schwarzenegger. With a name like oh Steel Inferno, you need like Arnie, Sylvester Stallone, oh and Michael God. Douglas. Yeah. Actually, interesting. Before we move on to your choices, what was it like to tackle such a kind of it's a kind of British institution, yeah. I suppose? And what did you know about it before you came over? Okay. What's your connection with with that? Yeah, um, I didn't know about it. I think I'd heard. I, I got into comic quite late, which I'll get into when I talk about my first choice. Um, I hadn't heard about it when I came over, but like I came over and it was like immediately on the radar. Everyone was like, oh, come in. They were everywhere, especially in our archives. <laughs> we have boxes and boxes of them. Um, and they're so cool. Like I love the kind of black and white format, the, the size kind of we were talking about with the um, Archie kind of digest yeah. size. I love that. We don't get that very much in the States anymore. Yeah. So... Um, it was amazing. Um, and so, no, I, did, I didn't know too much about it. And it was really hard to kind of tackle, especially with my pitch. Um, but I read quite a few of them and kind of tried to look up. I asked to, to do a couple different things. And they kind of shot down ones that were American, which I was Part more, of the pun. more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, literally shot them down out of the air. Um, but, like, American things, they were like, no, like, try to keep it more in the UK. Um, and so I kind of looked up different historical things that had happened that I didn't really know about. And one was this train explosion. And so I kind of moved it and then made it about, you know, Nazis <laughs> instead <laughs> instead of it just being a random train explosion. <laughs> but yeah, so it was really cool uh, to do that and then go through it and then um, getting kind of feedback from the editors on different things that they changed to make it yeah. really, like, I tried to make it historically accurate, but they made it like too a T like mm. they're like oh this doesn't make quite as much sense but if we change it to this like their position and stuff then it you know it works so much better and it's really cool the, the thing about having seen a lot of commando scripts in, in my time is it's a different way of writing yeah, a comic script it, than any other it felt, <laughs> it felt very old because mm. like I've written comic scripts for mostly just like Olivia like with Olivia <laughs> or friends or whatever to like oops sorry to do stuff so it was very weird to be like, you must adhere to this structure and they're not called panels. And you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. So yeah, having to kind of do that was, it was interesting, but I think I'm better off for it because writing my next one that I wrote, it was a lot quicker because right. I had already had to do like 63 pages worth. Yeah. Oh, so there's another one coming. Oh, uh, no, not for Commando. <laughs> okay. This is for my PhD. Okay. But, um, but yeah, it was already easier to write. A script having done having yeah. had to do one for in a such a rigid structure yeah. for 63 pages it's a real unique format and what always interests me is is the way that the um the captions work <laughs> or don't work if you know what yes. i mean um because they <laughs> describe exactly what's going on in the panel yeah most of the like, time it's know. like yeah you don't really let the images do the storytelling for you it's like i have also written this as a backup in case you would only like to read the commando instead of look at it are you one of the first you must be one of the first women to have written a commando though right oh no like georgia georgia writes the commandos and so does the other editor kate kate yeah Yeah. kate writes commandos as well Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe freelance Mm -hmm. i don't know that a lot of 
women. I've got a writer. feeling there was there was a female writer back in the sixties at some point that they reprinted. Oh, that's right, but they I, did. Yeah, I think it was a, a one-off. Georgia reprinted. Yeah. yeah, she was telling me about that. Yeah, so yeah, I, I don't but, claim to be the first. Yeah, I, didn't say, I didn't say you were the first. I said one of the first. I'm an academic. Well, I never say anything's the first. True. I just say it's one of the first. One of the first. That's well, yeah, and 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 recently as well. There's not been you yeah. know, uh, anyone. Too recent, so yes, it sounds yeah. great. We'll keep an eye out for that. But you worked for a while on on I Commandos. I did. I edited yeah. Commandos, which was so much fun because when you edit like the Vino, it's like a one pager each week, and so it's a different sort of. But it's like the same writer and artist. So you kind of have like you develop a relationship with them specifically, and like. Uh, Wayne Thomas was the artist I would work with and he would always like if I put something in and be like oh can you try and draw this he would always he would never ignore me he'd always be like fine this is stupid but I'm gonna do it um, and he would always kind of deliver on that but with Commando you're like sort of writing with different artists and writers all the time but you get so much more as an editor you get so much more material to shape it's kind of a much more it's I wouldn't say more satisfying but it is a really satisfying sense to sort of bring something to that size through these different drafting processes and bring it to life and for it to come back in it is like it is a really satisfying process to go on as a as an edit editorial assistant whatever i was um <laughs> yeah and like yeah my favorite thing that happened to me on it was that uh you know when you write the commando there's like the format as we've said as Haley was saying there's like you write everything that needs to possibly be in that panel in this in the direction to the artist because they may not if it has to be translated it does have to, yeah. If it Almost has to be translated, it's expensive, so they may not be able to afford to translate the entire script, so they're just going to work off that bit. Mm. And um, I don't know if this is trade secrets. It's not trade secrets, is it? I don't think so. If it is, mm, <laughs> <laughs> but take some advice I was on this. Say, we'll send <laughs> yeah. this to Georgia. Yeah. She has to like approve it. <laughs> uh, one time, uh, we sent the script off. It was like a Nazi. He was torturing a British guy, and he was like his um, the caption for the reader because of course you got to have your caption was like her Wolfgang left with one parting shot, and the Nazi's like I'll shoot you tomorrow, Englisher, and the artist was uh, Spanish speaking, but it obviously read that interchange and was like oh. You meant, oh, okay, I see what you meant. So then he was like, he just drew the Nazi firing a gun up into the air randomly as he left. So it's just like, bye, English up. <laughs> Which is arguably a cooler way to yeah, to yeah, yeah, that's like a pure power move. And yeah. <laughs> so just little stuff like that, the sort of funny interchanges yeah. you would get um, because people, because just like little mistakes like that. Yeah. It's it's a really cool comic to work on. I really like Commando. Yeah. I miss it. I'm really excited to see, like, I wrote some interesting things that I'm sure Georgia, like, the editors and whatever, like, took, <laughs> made it more, like, easy English to, like, work with. But I was like, oh, yeah, this has to be translated. Maybe I should, I shouldn't say, like, podgy and pudgy. I should just say fat. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of stuff. So The, the thing about the loss in translation, there's a, another story I heard that you could maybe go into a, a later date because we probably are going to have some of the commando team in later. In fact, oh, some people, yeah, there are some people down for that. Actually, Will is, is, is oh, good. For, for coming. But uh, is a, is a story about a one-armed bandit. So uh, oh, we'll yeah, talk yeah. about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one-armed bandit's my favourite. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we could talk about that at a later yeah, date. That would be uh, really good. That was <laughs> so, like, oh, I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's okay, move on sorry, to your yeah. choices. Uh, so, Commando today. is an easier transition than uh, Archie into my older comic that I brought. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> the segue. It was... It's a 
better his own man. <laughs> because I was like, oh, good, uh, teenage romance into mouse. Um, so I brought in Art Spiegelman's uh, Complete Mouse, mm-hmm. which is, well, it's from a bunch of different times, but it's about, it's the 80s. The first one was published in 83 or 84. No. Anyway, it took him 13 years to draw and write the whole thing. Um, uh, and it came out in two different parts. And in the 80s, it's kind of one of the big three that came out in the 80s, including Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. So I think it's always kind of shamefully absent from discussions of the comic in the 80s when it's it directed is. by superhero fans. Yeah. Because they, I mean, like, Watchmen never got a Pulitzer. So, like, let's yeah. keep it in perspective, people. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> the Mouse is the only Pulitzer Prize winning comic ever. Um, which is really cool. Um, so it's both autobiographical and biographical. So he's writing uh, Spiegelman's mom, mother, father, and stepmother all survived Auschwitz, and he was born later in Switzerland, and then they moved to New York. So he kind of writes about himself as a second-generation survivor and how he is still traumatized by something he never lived through um, because his parents lived through it and... Um, and but also he's interviewing his father um, throughout it, asking about how how he survived mm-hmm. because this was at the time when the um, the Holocaust survivors started dying, and their kids started realizing that they had never really talked about it or processed it. So the kids were the ones who usually drove kind of like um, the discussions, the need to have their parents' stories written down um, as they were dying off and stuff. Um, just from age or whatever, but poor Art Spiegelman, he's had he's had a rough go. He spent some time in a, a sane asylum for a while, and his mother, after having survived Auschwitz, ended up committing suicide later. And he talks about how that really affected him, having survived such a horrific thing only to take your own life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, woo, cheery stuff. Uh, <laughs> but I love it. So I didn't get into comics until um, uni about my second or third year of uni when I read Mouse in a literature class and I fell in love with it. I thought it was just like there was so much more to talk about than in normal literature because of just purely because it's more of a visual medium and everything. Um, So I ate it up and started asking all my teachers if I could write my final essays and whatever on mouse and luckily they let me because now I'm here (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so it was one of the first comics I ever read and I'm so glad because it's definitely shaped kind of my research interests and um art interests and everything like that so it's anthropomorphic which fits into my PhD so he draws the um the Jews are drawn as anthropomorphic mice the Nazis as cats Americans are dogs. There's one brief panel where the UK people are fish, and that has led to a lot of contention from Miss Olivia Hicks next to me. Um, <laughs> just, can I say why? Because, no. like, there's a history of portraying British people as animals, in, and it's generally a bulldog or a cow. Yeah. And, like, a fish... <laughs> A fish. It does seem a bit odd to have like, to say, yeah. A fish. <laughs> what what fish? I mean, like, narrowly of, got the Pulitzer Prize for me. What, what, what kind of fish are we talking about here? It's just a fish. It's just a fish driving by in a car. Not even a chip. Not even a chip inside. Oh, God. 
<laughs> Get over it. Missed a trick there. <laughs> I guess. He, you know, there's a whole part in the second part dedicated to you where he's getting interviewed and everyone's like, what would you be if you were from Afghanistan? What would your animal signifier be? And Art's like, I don't know, a porcupine? I don't really think that much about it. I just kind of went with it, you know? Mm. Um, but I love it. It's got a comic within a comic, um, Prisoner on the Hell Planet, which is uh, he had done before... Um, it's also got photographs to kind of like prove, because uh, at the time there were lots of Holocaust. I mean, there are well, still there today, still are, yeah. but there was more prevalent that there were Holocaust deniers. Mm. So he includes these photographs to really kind of be like, this is real. This isn't a fake thing. Yeah. Because um, when the New York Times introduced it as a bestseller, it was originally put in the fiction uh <laughs> section right and he was like hi yeah he wrote in and they've got a whole published letter or whatever about him being like no this is real just because i drew it as mice and cats doesn't mean it didn't happen this Mm -hmm. is real both to myself and to my father um and then he made some kind of suggestion that they make a entirely different one for just him it was like autobiographical biographical mice (laughs) like (laughs) fiction (laughs) non-fiction um but yeah so he's got a sense of humor about it but I always love now going into bookstores and seeing where they've put it. Mm-hmm. Um, so luckily, Barnes & Noble has it in the autobiographical section, yeah. which I was like, good. Yeah. <laughs> they've learned. Um, but yeah, no, I I love it. It's really cool. Just black and white. And it's, I mean, it's huge. The whole thing is 300 pages, um, which is remarkable. Yeah. And it makes sense why it would take him 13 years to finish it. It came out in individual like um, short bits in the raw magazine that he and his wife Francois edited um yeah yeah you're right though it's somewhat overshadowed by the other releases and the big three it always seems to be at the the bottom of that list for for some reason I don't know why that is about I think yeah because it's not a superhero based yeah and it's it format not one of the first times but one of the first times a quote serious or quote autobiographical comic was in the limelight Whereas it's probably the biggest genre is autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Um, and not all comics are funny, but kind of the public perception that they have to be either superhero or funny. Um, and that this is neither. It's depressing and real. It's a very anglophone <coughs> way of looking at comics. So I don't think the yeah. French necessarily have no, the no, same no. problem. And I don't Sorry. Think the, no, I was, no, no, no. <laughs> I think true. you're right. Um, I think the problem is like... Yeah, and it's not the same case in Japan as well. Exactly. And um, it's not even the same case in the UK. It's mostly, I would say, the American. But that is what influence. dominates yeah. English-speaking yeah. Um, sort of looks at comics and sort of um, discussions of comics. It's so influenced by this, such a narrow genre, the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so that there's maybe, I wouldn't say not space in the public consciousness, but this one's a bit like, huh... People would find it really weird, whereas like it's actually more true to the largest genre in comics. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love Mouse. I've got so much time for Mouse. <laughs> um, but I also have time for Mouse. I don't want, just because no. I dislike the fish doesn't mean that I don't like Mouse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll accept your apology. Um, so my new comic I brought is vastly different from Mouse. It's really fun, um, and I apologize for my pronunciation, but I l- grew up on a ranch, so I say coyote. And so <laughs> it's Coyote Dog Girl by Lisa Hanawalt, also anthropomorphic about coyote, a dog girl. So she's 
um, a mix between a coyote and a dog, and she rides her horse, and they just have an adventure, a couple different adventures. Uh, Lisa Hannawalt is the creator of BoJack Horseman as well. So What? Yeah, yeah. Um, so she is really good at drawing horses, first of all. <laughs> um, it's also, it's watercolor. It's really fun. Uh, you can tell she, and it's drawn in quarterly. Oh, look at that. Drawn in quarterly is um, run, or was originally run by um, Art Spiegelman and Francois Mouly. So oh, yeah. they're another connection, yeah. the publisher. Um, so so yeah. quarterly always tends to be like the really high class, the top tier yeah. comic stuff is, comes out of drawn yeah. quarterly. I, I was lucky enough to visit their, their HQ in oh, Montreal right. last, yeah. last year. It's Canadian, uh, right? I yeah, they're that. based in Montreal. And uh, yeah, the work that, that they've produced uh, over the years is, is fantastic. And, 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 a, and a different level, you know, than, than, than exactly. some other independent publishers. Exactly. And that's kind of where this is because it's it's watercolor and there's times where it doesn't even have panels it looks more like kind of an illustration book Mm. um she really plays around with a bunch of stuff um but it's just fun i like it once again growing up on a ranch the horses are drawn to perfection (laughs) she draws them so well and gets all their colors like done really well she also designs like coyote dog girls um outfit and talks about how she like made it out of leather herself and everything and then you could just like really rude panels like this or she's just like riding away flipping the bird to the people who are trying to catch her and stuff um you laugh you cry it's really cute there's uh there's a part where maybe a spoiler but my favorite part there's like a lot of physical comedy and my favorite part is where she's riding, she's trying to find her horse that's been stolen. So she's riding another horse to go get it. And the horse trips on a rock, breaks its leg, and she has to shoot it. Yeah. But it's all silent. And just the way she does it, she's just like, oh, no. You said I'm it's sorry. silent, but there's words. Yeah, okay. There are words. No, it's, it's just interesting because, like, I would, like... I remember it being a silent page as well. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, she says stuff. Yeah. But weirdly, they're not in speech balloons or sitting out with, well, no, mostly. No, only when she says shit. <laughs> and then she falls. It does feel like a silent page. It does. I have two yeah. pages. Yeah, it's two pages. It, they're panelists. Like, yeah. And then she, <laughs> you only see the gun in the last page. Yeah. And then she's like, spotty, R.I.P. Like, I love it. It's, so oh, it's, funny. it's not gratuitous anyway, put it that way. Yeah, you know? yeah no, exactly. Uh, and then she finds a little burrow, and I just love it. I read it so much. She has a little drug... No, it's not a drug trip. She gets too hot and starts kind of... Hallucinating. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, she... It's just really beautiful. The colors are beautiful. The size, once again, I'm kind of obsessed with this kind of size. Yeah. It's um smaller digest size, but it's also... But it's longer. Um, it doesn't have page numbers, but... Dang, I wish it did. That's a pet peeve of mine. I, when you make comics, please put page numbers on. <laughs> like I, I just want to know what page I'm on. It makes it hard to write on it academically. I, exactly. I have to like count the pages or just say like, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> Top tip to the yeah. comic creators out there: always put page numbers yeah. on your work. Yeah, exactly. It makes it easier it's for not, us. It's not the fun, most fun, most sexy part of making a comic, but it's important for yeah, comics for, academics. Yeah, academics. Please, like we implore you, please. Um, but yeah, so I like that she's both like anthropomorphic as well as kind of, she's both a coyote and a dog, so no one likes her. They, she has like kind of issues with that. Um, 
That is one of your favorite it's, films. Is uh, themes as animals being used as a metaphor for race and it's sort true. of and mixed yeah and, and mixed parentage sort of animal metaphor characters. Yeah, because um, I also like Black Sad, which is a mm. well. Spaniards write it for the French market about America, <laughs> um, and it's about a chain-smoking cat detective who's black, but he's got a white. Um, he's got white on his nose and his ears, which means that he's mixed race. And so he has to kind of traverse these 60s American racial ter- um, bi- binaries while still trying to solve cases mm-hmm. as a private detective. And it brings up all these like really interesting things about the South and the 60s and how horrible it was. <laughs> I, I got to admit, I, I assumed that's what you'd be bringing along today. I, <laughs> you have no idea how close I was. Uh, I brought Coyote Doggo because it was smaller <laughs> and fit in my backpack. <laughs> uh, but no, I also love Black Sad. Um, I, I'm also teaching film noir and I have brought it to most of the classes. I'm like, look at this. This is film noir mm. in a comic. Um, yeah. But yeah. Coyote Dog Girls a lot more brighter and more fun because Black Sad, much like Mouse, also depressing for the most part. It's also film noir, so. Yeah, I mean, what's really nice about it as well is that it's uh, the, the watercolour finish yeah. on, the, on the art as well, so it's, it feels, doesn't feel digital. You no, know? not at all. Uh, I feel like she did it on that page. Yeah. No, it's, it's really nicely done. And, and again, yeah, the, the, the lettering is very distinctive. Yeah. Uh, hand-generated again. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like your choice as well. So yeah, I mean it's a it's a really good format as well. The size of that actually it's almost like commando size. It funnily is. enough, uh. <laughs> We're coming, oh, it's coming back to commando today. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, and again um, it's it's won plenty of plaudits on the on the back as yeah, well. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's that well known, really. It's not. Well, it's mostly because she's not. She's well known for BoJack Horseman, so I don't think people think, oh, she she'll do a comic or have mm. an art book. No, it came out when we were down in Leeds, and almost no one had heard of it. And I was like, I have to have it. I mm. have to have it. I was so excited for it to come out because um, I had just seen she'd put something on Facebook just just with the um, title and the cover, and I was like, I have to have it. But yeah, no, it's not that well known, but it's really cute and it's hilarious. The comedy is. Much like BoJack Horseman, yeah. in it, yeah, it's really good. I think that's what's good about like Thought Bubble is that you just, yeah, there's every year you get something great at Thought Bubble that people aren't necessarily talking about. I think this year I got um, some good comics. The Times I knew I was gay by Eddie Eleanor Cruz, and good comics are really sort of like, I think they're doing expansion at the moment. Yes, yeah. you just think the two they're definitely UK publisher to be looking out for. Like when you look at the work they put out. Yeah, I mean, Thought Bubble, uh, certainly over the last five or so years that I've been going to, and probably more than that now, actually. Um, it's almost it's almost impossible to, to, to try and see everything. That's the oh, only yeah. thing. There's so much good work, you know, coming through yeah. and, and, and independent, small press. But, but beyond that as well, you know. Um, and, yeah, you come back and you look at your hall and think, how am I going to get time <laughs> to read half of this? It takes about yeah. a year, yeah. and then you're ready for the next time. <laughs> It's really good. But yeah, um, I was really excited to pick it up there and all the talent there is nuts. Mm. I My wallet always hurts, but my soul is happy. <laughs> <laughs> my wallet is empty, but my heart is full. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Great. Okay. Um, I, the really 
good choices, really diverse. And again, we'll put up uh, links to these uh, these publications on onto the website so that you can catch up with them yourself if you if you feel the need. Um, anything else uh, coming up that, that that you want to talk about before we we move on? Um. Not that I, I feel like cowgirls and horses <laughs> yeah. and shooting. There's not any shooting. There's not shooting. There's not shooting. But if you like cowgirls, it's me and Haley's comic. It's kind of very much a mix. Apart from the mouse stuff, it's very much a mix of everything we've been talking about yeah. today. It's sort of Western tropes. I bring a lot of teen humor comics, sort of drama into yeah. it from my end. Telenovela. Telenovela. Um, 80s. Yeah. <laughs> it's set in the 80s slash 90s. Country music. Yeah, there's a, there's a um, country honky-tonk scene <laughs> that <laughs> Olivia spent a lot of time on it. It looks amazing. But yeah, no, the the Love Ranch will be here soon. Yeah, Glasgow Comic Con <laughs> is going to be debuting. And is there a, any other way to, to get your hands on that or is it con exclusive? At the moment, it's at the moment it's con exclusive. You know I don't have a shop. You know that's too much... <laughs> You know I don't understand how the internet works. And people keep saying, do you have a shop? And I'm like, no, if you want to take a chance, you can PayPal me money and I'll try it and I'll do my best to mail it to you. A couple of people do that and I always get it to them. And often what you get is I'll just throw in random extra stuff. So you always get like a little card and you get like, if I have like a, like a zine or something in my house that I'm trying to get rid of you also get a zine so like it's very much worth just shooting me a DM yeah, and like offering me cash and we'll we'll get it to you yeah if you if, if you feel the need <laughs> the need for love ranch but it won't be ready before June so like hold off on the money payments for a little bit <laughs> yeah cash in advance yeah, yeah I wouldn't recommend that but um <laughs> I'll maybe by June I'll set up an online shop yeah, that'd be good. That's not a promise. Though. Sounds like a plan. If you do, we'll put the link again onto the website. <laughs> yeah, we'll you. put your uh, Twitter probably yeah, best way Twitter's to, best way yeah. to find me. Yeah, yeah and there's the rah-rah-rah. That, yeah, it's all up on... There's a, I've created this thing called A Moment on Twitter, which is pinned to the top of my profile page, and all of Sarara Chapter 2 is straight in that moment, so you don't have to crawl through my wild ramblings on Twitter. You can just go straight to that and leave, which is the best way. <laughs> and it's on Instagram as well, isn't it's it? It's on Instagram as well. Again, you'll have to scroll through my selfies. There's a Tumblr. There's a Tumblr. It's a dedicated <laughs> Tumblr. It's called sararawebcomic.tumblr.com. It's also a hot garbage fire, but at least you only get the Sarara on it and you don't get selfies and my wild ramblings. <laughs> well, it depends what people are looking for. I'm, I'm a professional PhD student, not a professional webcomic creator. Like, <laughs> you just got to know <laughs> that's how I roll. Okay, we will put links up uh, again just to, just to back that up. But yeah, great. Thanks thanks for coming along today. And, uh, Thank you for <laughs> <laughs> and um, and yeah, if you want to just send uh, random money to Olivia, then you know, good luck. <laughs> feel free. Uh, yeah, I won't have anything to do with that. But yeah, <laughs> keep my name out of it. <laughs> okay, thanks very much for coming along. No yeah, thank, thank you, you for having us. <laughs> Next, part two of our interview with Cam Kennedy. I met Lucy Wilson, who at that time was an assistant to George Lucas, and she said, it's so sad that you don't want to continue drawing Star Wars Dark Empire. I said, well, to be very honest with you, I said, I don't really find the characters all that interesting. 
And she said, well, is there anything in the Star Wars Empire, the, the galaxy that you do like? So well, the only one that interests me is Boba Fett, the bounty hunter. I said, I, you know, I wouldn't mind doing something like three or four days in the life of Boba. Um, but without the other Star Wars characters, you know, I, I would like to bring in just all sorts of vagabonds and thieves and other, other characters um, that Boba would deal with. She said, this, is, this sounds interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll push this, put this past George Lucas from you. Um, she said, would you, would you write it? I said, no, but I think John Wagner would. Now, this time, as you know, John Wagner knew nothing about this whole, this whole <laughs> thing. So I, I went home and I phoned him from Oregon and I said, John, um, I've kind of got you involved in writing a, a, a Boba Fett graphic novel. And John said, who is Boba Fett? <laughs> And I, I told him, so John, professional as he is, he went off and he got three cassettes, as I had done, looked at it. And I would say at that time, this is before emails and texts, I'd say that in about a week, week to ten days, Lucas from a, a Dark Horse Comics had a synopsis on the desk, which they then sent to Lucas from, who were delighted. Mm -hmm. With the first Bob Fett and said, "Go for it, guys." Yeah. So and that was that was fun to do as well. I was back working with a pal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting though because I think now it would have, it would be impossible to go about that with the Star Wars license if you want because it's so controlled now. You know they're all over it and you, you can't. You you know there's there's the new films and there's the new the new sort of um, uh, mythology. Uh, so, do you think now you'd be able to get away with what you got away with back then, what you put into that? You mean Disney? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Do you think you would be able to do that I, now? Probably I, not. I prob probably not. Yeah. I found it, no, it was probably a bit more relaxed. Yeah. I mean, as you say, I mean, I have heard that they, they have tightened up a bit, you know, with, with, because of, it's very precious to them, their in. The, the, the Star Wars thing, but as it was to George Lucas, you know. But mm -hmm. um, you see, George Lucas uh, has it may well have been his company, and not so much him. But when I when I was finishing the artwork, and they said, "Well, you know that this artwork goes to George Lucas," and I said, "Well, no." I said, "Nope," and I stopped there and there working. So very quickly they came back to me and said, "Well, it's okay." We've it's been arranged. You can you can keep the artwork. That must have been the first actually, the first time that had happened. That was the yeah. very first yeah. time. Yet. Now I don't know if nowadays they they get their artwork back at all. But I got mine back, so being very selfish, that's, I'm okay, Jack. <laughs> but if you don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> well, it's because it, it was being such a success. Yeah. I mean, that's what they realised. Well, it was huge. There was no other Star first, Wars content at that time. There was no films. No, because there was, yeah, there was the, the, the previously Marvel, I think, had been selling about four to 5,000 a month. And they had to sell about 7,500 to clear costs. Yeah. So it, was, it, was, it wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Well, the first Star Wars we did, I think, 
the first one, but 220,000. You know, the place yeah. was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, obviously, you know, Lucasfilm, absolutely delighted. And then it kept going, it kept selling and kept selling. Yeah. And um, then it was collected together again. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was collected together and then it was put out and then it was collected. It was the two series put in the same book and then it was a special edition came out. <laughs> just like the films. Just like the films. <laughs> just like the films. Um, but, you know, I don't, uh, I mean, I'm just, not, I wouldn't be at all interested in doing anything for Star Wars nowadays. I'm, I'm too old now, but. No, I just, what I think happened, Philip, is that I sort of get, it was getting too big, you know, and it was, it was, I mean, I couldn't keep up. I mean, I've actually got more things to do in my life than try and follow the Star Wars, Star Wars galaxy. I mean, I'm, but I'm sure Tom Beach will, he'll have a handle on it because he's, he's so avid, you know, he knows the whole thing, but Well, at that point then, uh, was that part of your decision to come back to... UK comics and to go back to working on things like Judge Dredd again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never. I mean, I always pined for for Judge Dredd, and I actually knew, you know, through John and through also McManus, Steve McManus. I mean, that I would always get work. Yeah. So, but I'm trying to think if maybe I didn't do a couple of dreads when I was doing the Fets. Yeah, that sounds about right timeline wise. I think you probably did around that time. You squeezed them in yeah. just as a, wee, a, a nice wee change, yeah. you know. I think Although you I did. did enjoy doing Boba Fett because he, because it, he was a character that I, that I liked. I thought it was a, a great idea for the character having a bounty hunter in space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it worked really well, and, and and again, it resonates with the sort of dread work with the with the the, the character based you know, plot and all the, the world building and all that kind of thing that, that you put into your art. Uh, and I thought that's what really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk a little bit about how, how, how we met, because it's quite interesting. It goes back to your point about licensing uh, properties. Mm. Uh, I was working for a video games company in Glasgow, and they said to me one day, oh, we've got the license for the Light and Darkness War. Have you heard about this? <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, I'm a huge comics fan. This is my first job in the industry. And you came yeah. in, you came in uh, on your own, you came down from Orkney to meet with the, 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 the mansion director. Mm. And then the second time you came in, I remember you came down, came in with John uh, and Alan actually mm -hmm. as well. Um, and it's interesting because at that point, the CG world, I don't think was quite ready to realize Light and Darkness War uh, in, in the mid 1990s, which is when this happened, you know. Um, but what I found more interesting about that interaction, apart from being able to work with you, which was fantastic, um, was that you introduced me to the Glasgow comic scene. So I just right. come, I just come through from Dundee, right, and I yeah. just and I and I didn't really know what was going on in Glasgow. It was my first job, and you said to me uh, when you came into the studio one day, you said, uh, "Have you ever been to this uh, this comics meetup called Scam?" Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about the, the Glasgow comic scene and? How you got involved with that and some of the, the the players in that in that world? Well, I'm trying to remember how I did get involved with the with Scam. Now I think Scam started just after maybe Frank Plowright's first uh, Glasgow yeah. Con. You can't. That would have been about it. So I met some of the guys, the Glasgow guys, there, 
and met like Tommy Somerville and uh, I was going to say Alex Royal, but Alex was was still very young at the time. He was kind of mm-hmm. on the peri- the periphery, and he uh, he was obviously you know he, he wanted to get into comics, but he's just a young lad, but he's done so well now, of course. <laughs> um, and then that. I've no idea who it was that would have thought up to start up this scam, which was in a basement in King Street, I think it was in, it wasn't Parnish Street, it was King Street, I'm sure, downstairs. And I went along and there was people like Dave Alexander, I think Jim Stewart was there, there was another fellow, he was a, a fireman, but he was a really good cartoonist, Jerry somebody, I can't remember his name. Tommy, yeah. who was his son, who was very young at the time. Um, so uh, we had various guests come in. I think, I mean, I missed it, but I think Will Eisner, the, the famous does, artist, yeah. American artist, he was he went along to scam. Yeah. I think the, one of the boys, probably Tommy, would have picked him up at the airport. And, and McShane must have been. Yeah, he was part of it. John McShane yeah. must have been. Involved in all that, yeah. Um, no, that was it. They, they were a good time, really. A drinking session, if the truth be known. I mean, you put a lot of Scottish creativity in a cellar, <laughs> they're not sitting embroidering, you know. <laughs> but at that time, you were. You were doing this concept work for, for us, um, but you were also doing again quite a lot of work for, for uh, 2000 AD again. And again, by this point, it was it was color, uh, and you were doing a lot more dreads. Um, I wasn't doing the dreads. No, you were doing you were doing the color. Yeah, I was, was going to say that you had the. I think it was Chris Blythe was Chris doing Chris Blythe, yeah. a New Zealand colorist. Yeah. yeah, who who lived in in England? Didn't yeah, didn't color it from New Zealand. Yeah. So how did you feel about that and sort of passing that on, uh, having a different colorist uh, from your own work because you've been used to doing that. For the, the previous work? Well, I, when they said to me that Chris Blythe was, um, that, that would be the colourist, so I, I looked through 2000 ADs, because the job was already away and it was going to be coloured by him that week, the first one, and it was okay. You know, his colouring was okay. But when I saw what he did on my dread, it was it was wonderful. It was so clever. Mm-hmm. I could still see it was it was a machine that had coloured it. It was chemicals in the chemical. But uh, no, I thought he did a very good job. And I, you know, it seemed to be that he, other people's work, he just he coloured fine. It was, it was okay. But sometimes he, I know that he was a fan, and and had got in, had come into colouring. Eventually, did the one story or two stories that he actually wrote, you know, just independent story. One called, um, I think it was Revelation, and another one I don't know, I can't remember. Just so you think he was pages. he was kind of playing to your strengths in a way when he's working on you? I remember it actually because he did change the way he coloured your work specifically. Did you notice that? Yeah, to make well, it a bit yeah. more painterly. Well, Try really, to make yeah. it look a bit more painterly yeah. than, than, yeah. than his other colouring. Yeah. Um, but then you did do another project where you went back to the fully painted work, and that was the Kidnap Project. 
Oh well, that, yeah, that was great. It was that was um, publisher in Edinburgh, Ron Ron Grosse, He called me up and introduced himself, and he said, uh, "It's Edinburgh City of Cultures coming. Is it the City of Cultures? Can't remember. European? Uh, no, what was it? Edinburgh? Was it to do with UNICEF? God, can you mean? Was it UNESCO? UNESCO. Yeah. And it was, you know, Edinburgh was going to be flooded with books and everybody was going to be reading and everybody was be, going to become so literate, etc. And he phoned up and he said he'd just been in a meeting with some of the, the, the city's worthies. And uh, as a publisher, he had suggested, for example, that uh, maybe they could do uh, a graphic novel of Stevenson's Kidnapped. And you see, describes it. You know, there was a lot of heads raised, and the glasses pinched on the nose, and seeing it. What exactly is a graphic novel? <laughs> and he'd be explained to them, and, and they said, "Would you get? Would somebody Scottish be doing this?" And he said that he said, "Yeah, Cam Kennedy would be doing it." He didn't know me. It's like what you did with John Wagner. (laughs) So anyway, he got in touch and I said, absolutely. I said, because I'd been doing like war, science, sci-fi, I don't know, Batman stuff for all those years. And I'd never actually tackled anything, what you would call sensible. (laughs) Or maybe even more of a challenge because you couldn't, so I hide things behind other things. Mm-hmm. You had to tell the story of kidnapped. So, uh, Ron, I said, absolutely, Ron, I'll, I'll do it. So he said, um, you, any ideas who would write it? And I said, well, I, I'll ask Alan Grant. And I phoned Alan about you know, just four or five minutes later. I said, I'll get back to you, Ron. Phoned Alan. Alan took a whole half second to say yes. But then, of course, Alan later realised that, um, the boy said to me that for all the writing he's done all these those years, because he had, he had a great respect for Stevenson, you know, absolutely, and he just is quite nervous about breaking Stevenson's work down. Mm. So every, all the text Alan did for the graphic novel of Kidnapped, I mean, it is, it is Stevenson's, except I think it was just two lines where uh, uh, Alan Breck, they're hiding from the Red Coast, and Alan Breck and David Balfour are on top of a big rock hiding, and uh, Alan Breck says, it's as hot up here as if we were two tatty scones. <laughs> <laughs> Which Stevenson never said, but it just, <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't mind at all. So that, that then led on to me um, doing uh, Kidnapped, uh, Jekyll and Hyde yeah. with Alan. And um, that was just as much fun. Although Jekyll and Hyde, I didn't colour. Kidnapped to hand colour, Jacqueline had a dent colour because I was having eye problems by then. And I thought, well, maybe not get this done. So it was actually 
and Jamie Grant, who coloured who coloured the Jekyll and Hyde. But that would have been computers. Then. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But the, the original art for Kidnapped was retained by... Well, National, National Library yeah. of Scotland wanted, wanted that, and so that's fine. So that's... I mean, you can keep all your awards and trophies, but for me, that is just... That, that, is, that was just that, the cream on the top of the cake for me because that the people of Scotland owned all this artwork mm -hmm. and Jekyll and Hyde, mm -hmm. the artwork for that yeah. as well. So people can go and see it, you know, you probably have to make an appointment, I don't know how these things work, but certainly my family in years to come will be able to say, well, our grandpa has got all that artwork in the National Library for yeah. Robert Louis Stevenson's kidnapped. And what a great writer to be associated yeah, exactly. with. Yeah, you know, exactly. Unbelievable. And there was also a Scots version uh, created yes. as well. The Scots version, um, Matthew Fit. Fit. Yep. And, and there was another chap as well, uh, somebody Robertson. I can't remember. Or was that on Jekyll and Hyde? I can't remember. And, but certainly for Kidnapped, they did, they did a Gaelic version. Yeah. Uh, Scots language version, modern text version, and just the regular version mm -hmm. that Stevenson did. Yeah, which at the time was quite innovative. There wasn't a lot of comics, you know. Yeah, it was. And there has been more uh, comics translated to, to, to Gaelic and Scots more yeah. recently, but that was one of the first ones I was aware of. Um, as far as I know, yeah, because I remember speaking to Matthew, and yeah, I'm pretty sure that was. There may have been some smaller children's books then, I'm not sure, or if that wouldn't be after it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So that, that's bringing us fairly up to date. Um, I mean, uh, you've done a lot of work um, with us in Dundee. Uh, you come through and you've given a master class, you, you look at the students' work, and you've been doing that since we set up. The, the courses uh, at the University of Dundee back mm. in 2011. We I'm named very, our very pleased to do it. Yeah. I mean, we, we love having you down, and uh, well, uh, and and uh, we named a studio after you, uh, the mm. Cam Kennedy uh, Studio, Comic Studio, uh, in in the Tower Building. Um, so, what does that mean? Is uh, uh, what? How do you feel about coming in and looking at the next generation? What, what, what do you feel about the way the comics industry is moving now? Uh, what's your perception of it these days? Well, it's obviously got a lot more technical. Now we'll get that cleared up right away. <laughs> because when I go in to see the students in your class, um, I mean, they're sitting with huge screens in front of them and they've got laptops and they can all draw very, very well on the computer. But I'm glad to see that one thing that you're encouraging as well is that some of them use pencils and pens and brushes to work. And... I don't know, I think the last time I think I spoke, there was just only two doing it, but I think it was one of the times there was about four of them I spoke to, and they said, oh yeah, I'd really like to work with a pen, and I mean, they, they could work the computer as well, so that's them get you know, multiple skills now mm -hmm. um, for going out into the big world to work computers, laptops, do all that stuff, that the computer colouring, and then they could sit down with a bit of paper and a pen or or a brush and draw something out. Yeah. And colour it. So, um, no, I think it's, 
I don't know where it's going to end, the, the whole technical, because there will be a point where it, you can't go, like a car can't go any faster. <laughs> at least the one I've got. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when you've been down to Dundee, what's been really interesting is that you um, you worked for, uh, for years on Commando and so did Ian Kennedy, mm-hmm. um, but you never actually met until Around about two, we gave an award, a Lifetime Achievement Award to you and Ian, around about oh, yeah. two, two, maybe more than that, 2012, I think it was. Really? Maybe, yeah. Um, so, what was that like meeting Ian? Because people, well, first of all, people assumed you maybe related or, or you yeah, knew well, each other, but well, that wasn't the case, was it? Well, because I, I, I only heard the name Ian Kennedy oh, years back, way back, 60s, 70s. I think Mr. Checkling Commando would, would say things like, you know, just said Ian Kennedy's just been in. So you kind of like form an image of what he's like. <laughs> and uh, I, I just left it at that. And when I met him, of course, you forget that we've all aged. Um, and I met Ian, and yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a present surprise because he's such a nice person. He's a lot shorter than me, <laughs> as he'll tell you. He knows himself. He knows that. There's no kidding on him. We tried to bluff it before. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's a great office. And the, the wonderful thing that's happened to Ian, albeit very late, is that he's, he's starting to get a lot of recognition. I mean, I think, I think I'm pretty fair in saying this has probably only been about five years since he started being invited to conventions. Yeah. Before he was, was kind of like just working away in his, in his house outside Dundee. Mm-hmm. But no, there's been a lot of people, it's given a lot of pleasure to a lot of people throughout the years. Yeah. And it's great that you've connected and now, you know, you can you meet um, up and you meet up at events or when you come down, you go and yeah. visit him. and. Uh, we've had you in uh, together, which is always yeah. always good fun, you yeah. know. He's, he's the older pal, you know, he looks after me in Dundee, you know, in case there's any bother on the streets. <laughs> <and> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that kind of brings us uh, right up to date. Uh, I just want to say a personal thank you because, um, to be honest, you know, if it wasn't for meeting you in the, in the 90s, in the mid-90s, and you introducing me to the comic scene in, in Glasgow, Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of what we've done subsequently in Dundee probably wouldn't have happened because those contacts from back then are the same people that we talk to now and we get lots of people in who I met yeah. back in the no, 1990s no, that's, that's, you know, to do to do these people like Alex Ronald uh, I met by then I ended up working with Alex and, yeah. and a whole host of people Robbie Morrison used to go yeah. uh, a lot to, 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 to scam and yeah. a whole host any, anyone who was anyone in the scene at that time yeah. even Dave Gibbons was a guest I met him there years ago in the 90s and uh, and that kind of really opened things up because I couldn't quite believe that you know all these people would come together or these big names would come together yeah uh, yeah, in yeah. a pub I should have known better <laughs> you know um, but it was fantastic and you know and and, and you know on a personal level you know um, uh, looking at your your body of work uh, and, and seeing what you've worked on over the years and um, and your, your your level of engagement with 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 fans and and with uh, you know who you're working with and what you work on, it's been it's been great to be a part of that. So I just like to say you know, thanks very much and thanks thank for taking you. the time uh, no, to, to do this th- interview. Thank you to you and and Chris Murray for persevering and 
getting herself together, that whole thing in the art school, that's, you get recognition for it sometimes. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks for your time. Gone. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. 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 Join us next time for more reviews, plus an exclusive interview with Pat Mills.